This is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. James Euler just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. We're going to cue you on the internet. Don't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It's kind of done, though. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Well, half of that peanut butter and jelly is here. I'm here. Salk is out. Mental health day. Get himself ready for spring training next week. And in his place is the jelly with the greatest hair on earth, Aaron Goldsmith. Get us all ready for next week. Good morning, Goldie. How are you, pal? Let's go. How you doing? Gosh, you look good. Your hair is so good. I, I, I'm, you know I spend a little extra time when I know I'm going to see you. Even at 6.50 in the morning, yeah. 6.50, you walk in, it, <laughs> no, just, it is glowing. Just roll out of bed like this. Hey, can we have a positive show today? I, I don't know if you know the last time that you were on with me, it was... Well, I kind of broke the Benetti news right before the show. Kind of blew your, you just your 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 wires. You did, yeah. And then I talked about how I don't like to lead the show, and then I got into it with Mora, and then you and I got into it. And then, do you know, like a whole article was written about that? Are you familiar with this? I had no idea about this. <laughs> you had no idea, yeah. And I'm not even fabricating. This isn't hyperbole. I'm I'm telling you, God honest truth. That <laughs> the next week, and Mora's like. You were joking. I, I, you were joking with me. I'm like, well, people didn't think it was funny. All right. People didn't think it was funny at all, nor some of our interactions. So our I, whole I thing hope... where you were telling me to push to the yeah, next push. to know. Push. And uh, he was like, how do you guys not know how to do this by now? Like, um, I mean, that, yeah. that, to be honest, that was a genuine reaction. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I think people feed off of that. Yes, for sure. <laughs> the the sure. subheadline of the article is a quote. <laughs> I so much enjoy just running around. Salk leads the show. Man, when he's out. And I got to try to run this thing. It is not good. (laughs) Now, this is this was Barrett Sports Media. Yes. Can I tell you something? Yeah. How much of a coup this whole thing was? My first job in radio, I was hired by the Barrett, Jason Barrett. He hired me to be of the board op of an ESPN affiliate in St. Louis. Awesome. So it's this is a real. I feel great about this article. Is the point? Full circle. There's a real full circle mentality. (laughs) You were a board op. Oh. Heck yeah. I, I love man of the people. I love the board ops because I messed up so many shows <laughs> and so many live broadcasts. I remember I was doing a broadcast. I was running the board for St. Louis University basketball. Go Billikens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as the board op, the one thing that you look forward to is pressing that button for the legal ID. Right. Like it's <laughs> the one time where like. It's a call and respond, right? Like the, the play-by-play guy says, let's pause, and then you push the button, and you feel like you did it. Like yeah. you did it. You did radio. And there is this guy for one of the teams that went down with an injury at like 58.30. And there was a timeout on the floor, and I get in talk back to the voice of the Billikens. Let's do an ID. We should do an ID right now. Let's do an ID. <laughs> this is moment. a good time for an ID. I'm producing. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to, he's trying to like – explain what's going on this is the pivotal play we should break for an id right now <laughs> he never took he never took one he just no. he hides him in me the whole time but i i have great board on memories as you yeah. can tell the billy well, great mascot oh it's phenomenal incredible phenomenal well we're gonna have a great day uh we're gonna talk to george kirby thanks to you and all the relationships with the people you have down in arizona uh do you know that we're heading down there Mora, justin the whole shebang the whole morning show gonna be down there you too right yeah, yeah, me too. Right outside the uh, <laughs> outside the doors of the clubhouse, uh, right there on the patio, listening to listening to the crack of the mitt, listening to the spikes, listening to the birds chirping. It honestly, Salk has said this all week. It is one of our favorite weeks. 
where the whole show gets to get, you know, be a part of it and have a blast and watch baseball. And, and I think I texted you and said, you know, do we have the good fortune of having you down there? But you come a little later in the show, right? You kind of let everything get going. And then, hey, man, when Goldie comes to town, it's getting real. Because you're going to come down about mid, mid-March or so? Mid-March. I, mid-March. I wait till the gloves pop and the bats crack. There you go. That's there. there you go. Yeah. Yes. Are you feeling it? Is it oh, turned I You know I am feeling it. I was talking yeah. to somebody about this the other day. It just kind of, it's just nature, Brock. It just happens. Where one morning you wake up and you're like, you know what? It's go time. Well, how, many is, years, it's how, go time. how many years is this for you? Not just here, but but with spring trainings and with baseball in particular. Uh, in total, I guess this would be like my 18th year yeah. broadcasting yeah. baseball. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole family feels it. Wife feels it. Kids oh, feel they it. Love them. They love spring training more than anybody. Do they really? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, they, my kids don't know any different other than going to Arizona for a week and change True. every True. March, right? And True. for my wife, Heather, it's all the normal reasons that anybody would want to go to Arizona this time of year <laughs> yes. living in Seattle. So it's, it's, a, it's a major pilgrimage in the Goldsmith family. On an annual basis. Aside from uh, being a story on Barrett Sports Media, yes. on that November day when you did fill in mm. at the start of the offseason. Think about it often, yeah. Do you remember the question I asked you right from the jump of the show? Right after I broke the news with Benetti, before it was actually news, it was later that morning it actually hit the, it, it actually uh, became public. Uh, I asked you, I believe the first segment of that show, more if you wouldn't mind firing cut number five at Aaron, I believe this was within the first 10 minutes of the show back in November. Curious how you feel about this now. Successful Mariners offseason for Aaron Goldsmith begins with? I I will simply use the word impact, like impact players. Mm. Obviously, uh, I think the majority of people listening will judge the offseason by how much money is spent, right? Like how many times was the Amex swiped? And I I think that's a fun way to look at it, but I think we've also seen that realistically, that doesn't necessarily lead to immediate success, but impact players. And save for the Dodgers, Aaron, um, and, and you know what? They didn't even pull out the American Express card. They just deferred. Yeah. So they, they just, uh, you know, they, they worked some paperwork or were able to move things down the road and just deferred on it. Very little of baseball really pulled out the American Express in significant ways. I guess you could say Kansas City. There are a few teams that certainly spent. We didn't know then, by the way, that was early November. We didn't know then where this thing was going to unfold and ultimately where payroll was going to go or any of that. So I ask you now, months and months later, as the boys are getting to work down there in Peoria, how much impact have they added to this roster, in your opinion? I think they've added – let's, first of all, focus. And we want, we wanted to see offensive impact, obviously, right? So let's focus yes. on that. And I think when you look at, in particular, the biggest names that they have added, and there's been a number that have been added to the roster, I, I think you can make a clear case that that has happened. Like, Do you want Mitch Hanniger at the plate in a late and close situation, like 100% you do, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want Jorge Polanco in that situation? Absolutely you do. Do you want Mitch Garver in that situation, a guy who had a go-ahead knock in a wins World Series clinching game? Absolutely you do, right? So I think those are three names off the very top, the three biggest impact bats that have been added that I think fit that criteria mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, th- those aren't necessarily the names that I thought that we'd be talking about right now <laughs> yes. as uh, we're about to get spring training going. But to the credit of the front office and their creativity, they added th- 
at least three impact bats. You know, we'll see. You know, Luke Rayleigh had a great year last year. We'll mm-hmm. see what he can bring. Mm-hmm. Less proven than the other guys uh, to to choose from another name on the list, but. Those three in particular do provide impact in that lineup each and every day. Yeah, I was doing a little studying last night. You got to help me understand this because as I watch this clip, I don't know, I probably watched it seven times. You know, I do a lot of my studying in the bathtub. I've told you that before <laughs> with bubbles, by the way, with bubbles. And I, I was watching and listening to this clip, and it was your one minute clip mm. that the Mariners put out last night. And I'm trying to figure out how Mitch Garver's pull side loft mm. turns into quality airborne contact. You know, Airborne's a big part of the show. Like, I don't know if you were thinking about the show because Airborne kind of opens the show and everything else. And yes. Yeah. Yes. Were, is that, was that was All, kind of... Everything you're saying is true so far. Yeah. So how do we go from pull side loft quality Airborne contact? That's what I really want to know. Is that your um, own spin? Is this AG's own deal? Like, I, is this... <laughs> so quality Airborne contact, I don't know if that's an actual baseball term, but I, I love it. Because to me, there's nothing more beautiful in this game than when a guy just absolutely yanks one in the air, yes. right? Like just pummels one 450 to the pull yeah. side. Yeah. And one of the things when, when we talked to Mitch Garver, we had an amazing conversation with he him. He's a talker. Oh, huh? I told him when we got oh. done with the interview, I'm like, hey, man, I know you just signed a big free agent deal. So you got a lot of career left, but the time's going to come when you hang him up and like you should get into broadcasting. I'm I'm telling you right now. Yes. Um he was remarkable. I love it when a player in any sport, but I think it's especially appropriate in baseball when a player knows what they do well mm. and they go all in on it. Mm. And that's something that the Mariners as an organization are so big on. I think it explains why they've had such success from a pitching perspective, especially in the bullpen. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the components of it. And offensively as well. Find what you do best and do it more often. And for Mitch Garver, he knows, hey, I'm not a threat on the base paths. I'll clog them up, if anything. I'm big. I'm strong. I've got a good eye. I make quality contact. I'm going to pull the ball in the air. That's going to be my bread and butter. That's how I'm going to make my money. And as he said, I thought this was really insightful. He said, when you find what you do best and you do more of it, it's not a selfish thing. It's not a me, me, me thing. It's this is what I need to do for my team to help my team win Mm. because as is the case with a lineup, you got nine guys and nine guys can't do it all the same way, right? It's, it's a mixed bag. You've got your JP Crawford's, your Sam Haggerty's, you've got your Julio's, you've got your Francis, you've got more power pull guys like Mitch Garver. So he finds what he does well and he knows that will help his team win. And he has been able, he worked with Alex Bregman's hitting coach a couple of years ago. And that was what kind of turned it for him. And you look at his numbers in that category, there are a few guys who can get the ball in the air to the pull side with more authority than Mitch Garver in recent years. I'm really excited about the addition. I, th- I think yeah. it's been overlooked a little bit just because of uh, all the other moves. All the other moves. This yep. one was a while yep. ago, right? Yep. Yep. Some yep. recency bias there. Sure, um, sure. But I, I think to have some stability at that DH position is going to be just I'm, enormous for the Mariners. I'm feeling Arkins and Church and those guys coming up with a new number called Quality Airborne Contact. And your signature is going to be right on it. I, mean, it has I can't, to, wa- I can't I, wait for I, it. I mean, you said they've – I just came up with it. I know. So I, yeah. I don't know why you're giving those guys. Yeah, intellectual property already yeah. stamped on I mean, this one, Brock. I mean, TM yeah. right here. I got you. Okay. That's right. Well, have no, Bar- have Barrett you- write something about it. Jeez. <laughs> he might. He just very well made. George Kirby in 20 minutes. Everything you need to know next. Goldie in for Salk right here. I'm Brock and Salk on the Seattle Sports. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first.
Well, here's what you need to know. First and foremost, the boys are working down there in Peoria. First game, spring training already this weekend. This show will be there all next week. Hopefully you guys will too. As Shannon just said, there is no week better than getting down and no sport better behind the scenes than spring training, in my humble opinion, to get to watch your uh, some of your favorites up front. Speaking of favorites, Julio comes in number 10 in MLB's rankings as far as the great superstars in this game. And while not a superstar, he was an all-star just a couple years ago. And Ty France realized at the end of last season, I got some work to do. Here was Ty addressing the media, Aaron, yesterday, talking about, well, his time at driveline and what he learned about his swing. The swing aspect, um, just cleaning a lot of things up, spent, spent a good bit of time over at driveline. And, you know, they've, they've got a lot of technology, a lot of smart guys over there to, to help. And, um, you know, very excited to kind of put that into, into the game. You know, there's, it's crazy to see how, how bad my swing was like, on like a mechanical aspect um, to get all that, that, that stuff cleaned up. And, you know, it's still not, not perfect. There's still, you know, I have created a lot, of, a lot of years of bad habits. So just trying to get, get as clean as possible and, and tighten all that up. Throughout the, the full, the full offseason, I think we made a lot of adjustments and a lot of improvements. You know, hearing Ty talk about the state of his swing going into yes. the winter, isn't surprising, but it is kind of a testament to how difficult this game is. Think about Ty France and his first go-around with the Mariners and how much of an impact that he was and all the praise that everyone was giving Ty for such a pure hitter. And you hear him, let's call it a year and a half later or whatever it is, talk about how off track his swing has gotten. This is such a hard game, even for guys who have success over a 162-game period at a time. It still takes maintenance. The th- biggest takeaway for me, seeing the video of Ty when he had those comments, yes. I mean, it's reminiscent of the Seeger spring training when he came back and was down mm-hmm. whatever it was, 20 LBs or something. Mm-hmm. France looks exactly how I was hoping France would look coming into camp this yeah, year. Yeah, it strikes me, too, the difference maybe in that sport more than any other because it's 162 games in, what, like 185 days? You can't fix things in season. No, You're playing so and playing. It's so hard to do. I know many people hear that like, why you got to go to driveline? Why can't you fix that? What are they, what's the hitting coach doing? Well, they're playing every day, and you don't have that time to transform your body and your swing the way he has. And hopefully, Aaron, hopefully we see a little J.P. Crawford kind of bounce in those numbers for Ty this year. That will do big things for this offense. Push. Here's the second thing you need to know. <laughs> These professionals. <laughs> hey, have you seen, uh, you, you've called some Pac-12 hoops games. Let's go. Absolutely. Tonight, you could argue the biggest Wazoo men's basketball game in almost two decades. Last time they were ranked in the top 25 was 2008. Does Kyle Smith, is it nerdball? Was that, was that, was that kind of his thing when he was hired a few years back and Pat Chung and and just another great hire over there with the head coach doing more with less than anybody. Nobody expected the Cougars to be ranked. Nobody expected them to be competing for the Pac-12 title, and they will. They've beaten this Arizona team the last two times. They beat them in early November, which really turned uh, turned their season. Not, not, no, no, not November. When was that? It was later in the year because they've won eight of nine conference games since then. January. Since January, yeah. Yes, since then, not November. You and I were November. They were, they were early January. <laughs> We came won, first. They've won eight of nine since, and you've seen these Wildcats. How good are they, Aaron? Well, Arizona is the team every year, right? Especially when you're talking about in Tucson. The Cougs have never won the pack, which was created in hmm. the late 60s. Think about this. If they win tonight and they sweep Arizona on the season, they'll be in first place 
with four games to play. Crazy. What a remarkable story this is. Just a hugely likable team when you look at the personnel. Their best three players, a D2 transfer, an Idaho Vandal transfer, and a cancer survivor as recently as last year. That's just amazing. It's incredible. You, yeah. you cannot help but root for the Cougs right now. And it does show in the sport of basketball how much coaching matters. I, I think men's college basketball, especially in, in, uh, is in flux as all of college sports is, and basketball was the start of it. That was the floodgates of all the transfer portal, and you just mentioned it, all these different pieces. A coach, through his discipline, through his development, that can pre- bring a team together can do remarkable things, and that's exactly what's happened in a huge one tonight. 8 o'clock tip-off between those two for the Pac-12 title. Here's the third thing you need to know. Do you know who the Kraken's biggest rival is? Hit, hit me with it. The Canucks. Mm, yes, going? of course. Yeah. And uh, those Canucks are pretty good this year. In fact, they're the best team going. Uh, Coach Dave Haxtell talking about, well, scoreboard watching, this little playoff push. How much of it they starting to do with the trade deadline just a couple weeks away, Coach? And I spent, I watched hockey all night last night, so not necessarily scoreboard watching. I mean, there's, we've got to do our job. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think everybody, you know, everybody's a little bit different on what they do away from the rink, but our awareness is, I mean, at least for me, yeah, I know what's going on and what's happening on, on any given night and uh, what the standings look like the next morning. And I'm, yeah, I mean, obviously I enjoy the sport. I love watching the game, but usually watching with a little more purpose at this time of year, especially when uh, you get to this, this stage of the year and you, know, you have an opportunity to see what uh, some of the upcoming teams that you're playing against are doing. And it's, yeah, it's all part of the process. Well, Vancouver's rolling 80 points. They're leading the Western Conference. Uh, the Kraken just 57, Aaron, and now 27 games to go. It's a long season, too. I mean, it's not 162. It's about half those games. But it's a long season that all of a sudden comes right into view very quickly with the trade deadline. And this Kraken team's one that's beaten bad teams. But like Vancouver, not beating many of the good teams. We'll get a chance to do so at home tonight. Are hockey players the most real yes. people? Like yes. hockey coaches in this case? Yeah. Like you would never hear no. like another athlete or coach no. in another sport be like, you know, I watched. Yeah. I, I love the sport. I watch. Yep. yep. So get over they're it. They're the most genuine. Yeah. They're it's like incredible. American cheese. I mean, they're like American cheese. They're just kind of basic, pretty general, pretty genuine. Yep. All of that. No, I think that's, that's a that's, perfect comp. That's everything you need to know. I don't know if you've heard this or not, Aaron, but I guess like last year, they the pitching staff described themselves as different cheeses. Are you familiar with this? I've just recently heard of this. You just recently the, heard the rotation. The rotation yeah. did this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brian Wu, of course, Parmesan, a little undersized, you know, uh, tremendous little flavoring at the end of it, and unique. Um, and I guess what what Mora, the text toy, was enjoying that this morning and labeled each of us. What were you, yeah. Mora? What uh, were you? Uh, someone said I should string? do string cheese. Yeah, yeah. your string cheese. Uh, that's that what Bryce out. Miller is. Uh, <laughs> Justin nominated himself as what, gas, gas station, station cheese? nacho cheese. Yep. Um, nacho cheese. Someone okay. said Manchego for Goldsmith, and then we got this text about you, Brock. Yeah. Brock will be Monterey Jack. Very white, just enough flavor to pass his cheese. So- Yo! <laughs> Yo! <laughs> and then cheese in here. Cheese you can hear. Here, uh, Salk, really and this nice says stuff. Salk would be cheese curds, not fully formed and squeaky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll just let that sit. That's now. from we're the 509. Gonna, yeah, we're just going to let that sit right there as we bring George Kirby on and learn what kind of cheese he is. Monterey Jack is so soft, too. <laughs> like a toddler could break it in half. Besides the high cheese that he throws, what else will we learn about George? We'll do it all next. Goldie Goldie is in for Salk. It is Brock and Salk in Seattle Sports, in Seattle Sports app. 
You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We're getting along, just as we're all getting along. In ways we didn't get along some months ago. We're getting along. George Kirby's going to join the show. (laughs) And now George Kirby's not going to join the show. He just did not want to talk. Bottom line, AG, he just did not want to talk cheese. I think he heard that tease, and yeah. he wasn't about to talk some of the cheese that maybe. Do you remember what he was labeled? If Wu was Parmesan, what would George be? I think they. Ha- I think they've had this all all done. They said he was sharp cheddar. I believe sharp cheddar. Oh. That's right. Do you think is, is that more because of his pitcher profile or his personality? Do you think like he well, is very he t- sharp with his command? Uh huh. Uh huh. Probably a little bit of everything, right? Okay. Probably a little bit of everything. And this happens. This happens in radio. Does it? Yeah, it happens. I mean, this has never happened to me before, I think is the bigger point, though. (laughs) Is it? Okay. Well, we're in spring training. Something comes up. Hey, next week, you should see more in Justin running around that place. We got this interview. Oh, we're going to do it. Oh, no, it's going to be a half an hour. Oh, we're going to tape it after the show. Oh, so, you know, this is is the way it goes. So they they got a job to do. This isn't their offseason. I mean, Gino was the best, but he was also very, like, we waited after a game at one point, and they were like, oh, now he wants to get in the hot tub. You know what? Now he wants to do it tomorrow morning. (laughs) And he finally did talk to us, and he was fantastic. But, you know, he just, he went with the flow. Yep. He put a a bucket hat on (laughs) over his headphones. It was fantastic. Really? (laughs) Quite the bucket hat. Loved it. You said something at the top of the show. This works anyway, because you said something at the top of the show that I started writing notes about. Mm. And uh, and you were talking about Garver. But I think this applies to many players. It applies to you sports level. It certainly applies to the offseason for the entirety of this Mariners team. Aaron, you said about Mitch Garver that he's gotten to a point where he focuses on his strengths. That this is this is what I do best. And I'm going to enhance what I do best. I remember just personally and individually Probably my biggest failing professionally is I got co- so caught up and so worried in what I couldn't do. Man, even the punters are faster than me <laughs> in the NFL. Like Hunter Smith's a better athlete than me. I got I got to go to speed training. And one off season, honest to God, one off season I had hired a track coach, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna be faster. And I'm out there at Bellevue College in the rain and March, and and I'm doing these sprints because we're gonna get time 40s when we come back. And by God, I'm gonna run 485. You know, and sure enough, I ran like four nine eight, and, Wal- <laughs> and Walter Jones waddles in at like three hundred and sixty pounds. He hadn't done anything but eat for two months after the season, and Walt ran like four seven. Like, yeah, you're just not you're not fast. You're focusing on the wrong things. Tom Brady, probably Peyton Manning, two of the greatest examples of my life. You know, when I went to Indianapolis, Aaron, did we have a sprint pass in the offense? I'm like, well, where is Naked? Where is, you know, Wago? Where is Sprint out? Where's, where's all the play action movement? Yeah, we don't do those. Why would we do that with Peyton Manning? Why, why would we do and focus on what he doesn't do best versus this guy's brain is, is superior to everybody else? And we're going to play between the tackles. And I think if you look at the Mariners this offseason, and you can go with this where you want, but when I look at them this offseason, they did that as a team. What are we? What do we do best? We pitch. That's what we do. We pitch. And we are not, and I know they moved on from Robbie and Marco, and those were, I think, more financial obligations and age obligations than they were strengths because they've got their dudes and a few of the others, and they may need more. But, Aaron, to me, as you were saying that, that just resonated with this entire organization that eight years of stability with Jerry and Scott, they know who they are, they know what they want to be, and this is going to be a team that will be defined ultimately by their pitching. And they did not move on from any of it this year. 
I agree with that. And it's also, it's the pitching and it's also the overall mentality of the dominate the zone. And I, I try to put myself in the, in the shoes of a fan, like you've heard dominate the zone. Have or we con- gone from control the zone yeah, to dominate the zone? Yeah, that was a few years ago. Okay. Um, that graduation has happened. Um, they be, they could be, they really doubled down on it. Controlling was not enough. You, that was just the start. You had to dominate. That was once, the you, once you prove you can control, you must dominate yes. okay. in all facets of life. <laughs> if I'm a fan, I, I, I can see myself being like, okay, hey, uncle on the dominate the zone thing. But let me tell you the other side of that coin. Okay. Mm-hmm. One thing that I have observed with this current regime with the Mariners, from Jerry and Justin to Scott, the other coaches, down to the players, it is have a clear message and beat that message into the ground. Hmm. Make it simple, hmm. right? This is an organization that has been built around dominate the zone. If you're a pitcher, throw it in the box. Throw it over the plate. Good things will happen when you do that. Right. Do not give up free bases. And if you're a hitter, stay inside the box. Do not chase. Swing at strikes. Swing at good pitches. And when the Mariners have had their best stretches or their best seasons, we have seen them truly dominate the zone on both sides of the ball. Last year, they did not do that offensively. Mm-hmm. And that was the real galvanizing force or one of the primary ones for this roster overhaul offensively right now there are still guys who have brought in who will swing and miss right yeah Luke, Luke Rayleigh yeah Luke Rayleigh has mm-hmm. some swing and miss Hanniger has swing and miss but I would I would say that you can have some of that if you make up for it in other areas right mm-hmm. like Gino two years ago struck out a lot he also walked a lot and hit a ton of bombs yeah okay so you you still need those thumpers and you're going to get some swing and miss that comes along with it you can't have nine guys just spraying singles all over the yard and yep. never striking out That's the Guardians. That's the Nationals, right? Like, they're an easier team to pitch to because of that more days than not. Mm -hmm. So the point is, they absolutely have a bedrock. They absolutely have a philosophy. I do think it is a winning one. Controlling or dominating the strike zone from a pitcher standpoint or a hitter standpoint will win you games over the duration of the season. And I love the fact that they're doubling down on it even more so and that they did make the overhauls because they saw that it was not fitting. Uh, to me, what I would not have wanted was them to say, oh, you know, not, now we're going to change our philosophy because right. our, our personnel has, has aged right. and shifted. Right. No, this is, this is who we are, and this right. is how we believe you win games in this league. Well, once again, you just kind of trigger something there, and that is I can't help but think of Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. And what kind of happened there at the end? Like, hey, man, this is protect the team. This is compete every day. This is like, this is who we are. And that's what they were in 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. And then, you know, some grumblings and then players get paid and then the power kind of shifts and, and then they reboot, right? And they kind of started over and shift from Russ and, and some of these pieces. And yet the DKs and the Jamals and just challenge so much of that rather than, hey, <laughs> this is who we are and you're going to buy in. Like this is, you, you have to have that buy-in. Is you kind of lay that out, 30 Major League Baseball teams, right? How many of those 30 have that same concise, simple, whether it's a mantra or a belief or just a system around their entire organization in a way that would be comparable to the Mariners like that? That's a good question. I I don't know. I'm I'm sure that there is, there are others. And Mm -hmm. obviously we're closest with the Mariners and we're on the inside of it. I I don't know if 
there is something that I have seen, right? It's it's all on what's on your T-shirt, right? Sure. Every, it's, it's whatever T-shirt these guys are wearing. And the yeah. Mariners have like a dozen T-shirts that spell all this out in different various forms because this is what they practice and they preach. I think when you said organization, I think that's one of the keys too. This isn't just um, who we are uh, going out and looking for in the free agent market. Right? Mm-hmm. This isn't just who we're looking to trade for as the Mariners. But if you look at the draft picks for the Mariners – for years at this point, Harry Ford dominates the strike zone. Cole Young dominates the strike zone. George Kirby dominates the strike zone, right? I mean, all these guys, whether you're talking about a position player or a pitcher, this is the commonality between all of them. This is the link. And when you start doing that in year three, in year four, in year six, in year eight, right, you, you start getting late into the, into the era of the Mariners with this current regime, and you look around, and you're like, okay, uh, Almost all these guys do this to various levels of success. And those who strike out more, they have more pop. They walk a little bit more, right? And from a pitcher standpoint, you look at, like, Gabe Spire last year, Brock. Mm -hmm. He threw the highest percentage of first pitch strikes of any relief pitcher ever since it's been tracked. Ever. What? Ever. Ever. 2002 tra- is when it was tracked. Are you dropping that knowledge at 739? What? No one else has ever started <laughs> off 01. Goodness, are you ready for spring training? Like Gabe You've Spire. got your own quality airborne contact, yeah, QAC. Yes. Who needs QFC when you got QAC? And now you're dropping knowledge like that ever? Like and, ever, ever. And here's the thing with Spire. I mean, it was his first year in the York, right? And they sat him down and they said, hey, if you throw strike one, we're going to show you all these good things that happen. And your probability, your percentage of the at-bat ending in your favor. Hmm. And he said, yeah, I'm in. I'll throw it over the plate. And it was really interesting. I asked him, I said, I can only think of one game where you were really ambushed because the game that stands out to me was against the Red Sox, where the Red Sox were like, hey, guys, he's going to throw it over the plate, get up there and start hacking, mm-hmm. right? And like, sure enough, he got babbed to death, and he got knocked out, right? He got what? He got, he got knocked out. <laughs> But no, no, no. What, what did he say before that? Babbipped to death. <laughs> right? Like, the, everything was in play, and they all found holes. Batting average and balls in play, bro. I mean, you say that. How many of the uh, million people listening right now do you think know No, you're right. The BABIP, the BABIP gods were not smiling. <laughs> it's no crack of the mitt. It's no crack of the mitt. Yeah, so you're right. We've gotten from kindergarten to a 100-level <laughs> class pretty quickly. Yes, we have. 100-level? Yeah. I'd say 300-level to 500-level. You just got babbipped. He, he had... A really, this is like such an obvious point, but I had not thought of it. And he mm. said, "Listen, when they know that I'm going to throw it over the plate as often as I do, I now can start using their aggressiveness against, against them. them. Yeah. Because he goes, if you look at all my OO pitches that were a swinging strike, how many of them were in the dirt, like a spike slider? Because mm. as Brock Heward looks at the iPad before he gets on deck, they say, "Hey, man, he's going to throw it over the plate. Get ready to mm. hack." Mm-hmm. And oh, there's Brock. <laughs> he's he's ready. And, Bab-bipping. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna bap up this guy, and then boom, back foot slider in the dirt. You swing right on top of it. You miss it by six inches, right? Yes. And so, to me, with as much success as the Mariners have had on the pitching side, in particular, with the dominate the zone, get ahead, the OO pitches, uh, the first pitch of the at bat, the buy-in is like instantaneous. Yeah. It's instantaneous. Yeah, and you know what I like about this one? And we'll get a lot more of a feel next week when we're down there. And and just kind of listening. And, you know, I said this yesterday, Aaron. Like, last year when we were down there, it was, hey, man, how did we get from good to great? 
World Series, right? We, we just ended this drought. I mean, we, we got to the other side. We got to the garden. Like, we're here now. And now we're going to take that next step, right, to go from a divisional series to the World Series. Mm-hmm. We're going to win this thing. And, and there was so much, and Colin Coward loves to call it noise. Noise. Just noisy. It's just noisy. And I think after, you know, some of the struggles of a year ago and certainly the ending that was so hard to swallow and then to see your own divisional foe Mm -hmm. who that you were head of in that race to end 22 get past you and ultimately win their World Series. I think you'll probably we will probably hear more of what you just laid out, because when you come through adversity and you've been humbled a little bit and whether that's Ty France or other like, hey, man, I'm all in. Like we, we have got to turn this around and I am not about to see some of the struggles we did. And even your superstar is saying that Julio the other day was like, yeah, that was humbling. That was hard. Like, bro, you were fourth in the MVP, <laughs> you know, like, what, what are you talking about? 30 for 30, 30, 30, like, no, no, there were some valleys there. And we have really, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I get a sense. We're going to hear a lot more of that with some new faces too that have come in to, to be a part of that. And Mitch Hanniger, you know, right alongside of Mitch Garver and others, this is what we're about. We're going to dominate the zone. And they get back to that. They probably get back to finding a way to compete for this division and do even more if they stay healthy. And that's the key, right? I mean, there's there's so many guys who have an, have an injury history. I think there's going to be such conversation behind the mm. scenes with Scott service mm. with the high performance department with the training staff yep. how how do you rest guys in the right spots right yep. how do you you have to have yep. you you cannot go a stretch of 30 games with no Garver and no Hanniger yeah like that yep. that can't happen but yep. how do you rest Hanniger when Garver is your DH every day yeah you probably you just give Hanniger a day off Right, you just give him. You just got to give him a day because mm-hmm. you. I think I don't know if there's ever been more pressure on Scott to figure out a way to get wire to wire with his varsity team as many games mm-hmm. as possible. Because yeah. when you put it on paper with the varsity guys, you're like, that's a good lineup. Yep. Uh, but how do you keep them upright? Yeah. There, now there's going to be IL time. It's baseball. It happens. But how do you maximize that time? It, it, I think that's going to be a a challenge that. Uh, that they're up for, they know what they're getting into, but it, it will not be an easy thing, and I, it'll take a lot of creativity and a lot of discipline, quite frankly, to say, nope, he needs a day. Like he needs a day. Whoever that person is, sit him because we need him for the duration. And those players got to buy in on their end too, and that's hard for those guys who are just creatures of habit. Sure. And it's right near the top of the list. Okay, speaking of buying in, speaking of up for the challenge, here's a little blue eighty-eight. This is Brock and Sox Blue eighty-eight. Blue eighty-eight. We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saul. <laughs> Thank goodness we're finally talking football on this show. Gosh, all the air has been sucked out of the room. Baseball all the time. Marvin Harrison Jr. versus Roma Dunze. Are they really as close as Bucky Brooks? Says they are. I think they are, uh, Aaron. Here was Bucky on his podcast with Daniel Jeremiah talking about probably the strongest position group, right, with tackles and QBs in this draft, wide receivers. And who's on top of it? Here's Bucky Brooks in that comparison. I think you can liken his game to the game that you see from Jamar Chase in terms of just an overwhelming physical presence, plays with physicality and ruggedness on the perimeter, outstanding ball catcher, uh, can win 
contested catches down the field, just kind of utilizing his leaping ability or just physically overpowering people. With Marvin Harrison Jr., he is a terrific route runner. He does have great pedigree. Obviously, a Hall of Fame dad who did it for a long time in the league. He can do a bunch of special things. I think the trick will be, let's see what these guys look like when they run at the combine. Let's see what they look like when it comes to running routes. I think the conversation is a little closer between those guys vying for number one than I think we've talked about for most of the regular season uh, heading into draft season. Yeah, Harrison Jr. got more hype. He was a Heisman finalist. He's got pedigree, as Brooks said. He's an amazing talent, Aaron. He really is. Um, I'll, I'll get to him in just a second. But what Bucky said there is critical. And in fact, this morning, and, and Rome's going to hopefully join us in 45 minutes. I texted him. Uh, he said, you know, I, he's got speed training every day. Like, these guys are down there. He knows. He knows the importance of this 40. I will be curious if Marvin and Rome both run it next week. So they all head to Indianapolis on Monday. Interviews, medical, all of it, end of the week. Is their time as receivers to run? Because that 40 is going to be so, so critical. And I know people say that's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. Doesn't the tape say enough? Well, tape's pretty awesome for both of them. And Rome's uh, contested catch is amazing. Back-to-back 1,000-yard season, amazing. Clutch on third down, amazing. Clutch in the red zone, amazing. All of it. His hands, his separation, just remarkable. But if Rome runs like in the low 4-4s, and he was a 10, 800-meter guy out of high school. Like, he was he was fast in his size. If he runs in the low 4-4s, four you're going to hear this conversation between the two continue all the way to draft day. If he runs in the high 4-4s four or the 4-5s, uh, and Marvin's a high 4-3 four, or low 4, like, that is going to be a differentiator. Uh, one last thing on Marvin Harrison, and this sounds a little creepy, and I'll try not to make it sound creepy. When I was back there, I was chatting with a scout before the game. And, uh, and actually, Ryan Day, the head coach, has said this. He goes, while Marvin Jr. is a lot bigger than Marvin Sr., who I played with, and Marvin Sr. was not a big guy, six foot, spandex, loose on his body, 0% body fat, lean, like unbelievable, but he was not a big guy. Marvin Jr. is like 6'3", six, 6'3 three, six, three and a half, but their legs are like almost the same length. So Mar- Marvin Jr.'s got this big, long torso, but these, sh- but these shorter legs, and almost like, you know, hip size, you know, to ground like his dad. And and from, from an inseam. And what that does is that short area quickness. I know you're laughing. I know this is crazy. But long levered receivers. Look at DK Metcalf. Not a great short area quickness guy. It's 6'3". Just, you know, that's the knock against him. Yeah, can't get in and out of cuts. But when you're 6'3", and you're super long torsoed and you're short leg, guess what you become? A six-foot receiver that can get in and out of cuts. And that is where these NFL guys love Marvin Jr., He's got length, but he's got the short area quickness that is just different, and it's super, super unique. So, yeah, sorry, that got a little weird. I no, apologize. You, you just What's going the, on? You just opened the yeah. door for me to ask Rome about his end seam, which is great. You gave me confidence, <laughs> yeah. so thank we you. We won't do that, question two. Well, since you're on a heater, uh, what's yep. your biggest takeaway from the 19, that's right, 19 coaches hired so far by the Seahawks? Whew. A lot of decals on the suitcases. So a couple more coaches were hired yesterday, D-line coach, and this guy's been with three organizations, and that guy's been with eight organizations, and that guy's been. This was not a let's be comfortable, let's just hire people we know. You know, many times, Aaron, whether it's college or pro ball, hey, man, I got to hire a friend. Hey, a friend of mine of a friend said, hey, this guy's a really good guy. When you look at the list of this, when I do, 
in a Mike McDonald, it's not like in the 36, it's not as if he's got 20 years of relationships with people in the league. He's been in one place, but he didn't pull like eight Ravens uh, assistants and junior assistants and analysts. They pulled from a lot of different places. And when he joined us about a week and a half ago and said, yeah, man, this process is uh, it's teaching me patience because John Schneider turns over every stone every single stone and they're going to find the guy not the one they're just connected with not just a friend not just a familiar last name we're going to turn over every stone that's what these 19 coaches i think say to me and speak to me more than anything else is we're going to find those like us with a growth mindset been a bunch of different places i don't care if we don't have that past a relationship with them i'm going to hire some of the best and youngest and brightest and uh they have certainly been very aggressive in that way question three what can you not get out of your mind when it comes to the newly announced 12-team CFB playoff format? That we're not going to have a Pac-12. I cannot get it out of my mind. Even though it ended, even though we had all the sad songs, the Sarah McLaughlin songs that we played about the end of that conference, <laughs> even though I called the last Apple Cup as conference foes, I can't Way get my that mind in there. past that was good. it. I can't get my mind past it. Because, Aaron, if we moved into this year and it was status quo, guess what? Utah's a playoff contender. Oregon's a playoff contender. USC is a playoff contender. Washington, probably too much turnover to, to put them in that same camp. But you got three. You'd have three viable teams right there pushing for college football playoff. And instead of the, the, you know, the dry abyss that we were in for so many of these years, save for Oregon and 16 with Washington and last year with Washington, you know, there was no other Pac-12 team in the final four. You expand to 12 and guess what? You'd have been right there. If these presidents and these boards and Larry Scott and the people would have realized like, hey man, this is coming down the road. Let's make sure we take care of ours. Let's make sure we don't have enough hubris and arrogance to, to think that others won't poll USC or poll UCLA or poll Washington and Oregon. Let's make sure our house is in order. And had they kept it in order, Aaron, with this new expanded playoff, they'd have been unbelievably viable. But instead, there is no conference. Those teams are now in the Big Ten and the Big 12 and elsewhere, and I just can't get my mind past it. I was reminded yet again as this 12-team playoff came into view this week, what a disaster mm. that this conference crumbling is. That's Blue 88. Have you wrapped your mind around that? Was, that? Hey, no can, more? We, can I ask you? Do I have time yeah. for to ask you a question about this real quick? Ooh. Do we have time? Yeah. I mean, do I have another interview guest one that's going to cancel? Go for it. Okay. Hey, what was your take on, I know it's old news now, but what was your take on Chip Kelly's comments about the have one have one college football conference with the commissioner? Sure. What we got there? What do you think? Yeah, I think eventually we're going to get down to about 32 teams and they're going to be an entirely different league. And it's going to be like semi-pro. And then I really worry about the other 100 FBS teams. Mm -hmm. And then I really worry about all of the other hundreds of sports and athletes and student athletes right, that have been able to pursue their dreams as full scholarship volleyball and track and baseball. And then I really worry about a lot of them because on the surface, that sounds really great. Wow, Chip's really, really smart. This is innovative. Like get a commissioner just have for one. Well, hold on a second. To do that, you've got to consolidate a lot of it because you're going to have one commissioner for 130 teams. That is very unlikely. So while I understand it, it does create a lot of fear for what it means for all of the other Olympic athletes, the other sports, the other student athletes all across the land. Hey, we're going to do a little rapid fire. 
We're going to do lab, a little rapid fire. We're going to do Need to Know. We're going to do Roma Dunze. We're going to do a whole mm. bunch. Fire through a lot of sound, Aaron, that you're yes. going to get to react to. Love that. And keep on educating us next. It's uh, Brock and Salt. Goldie is in for Salt right here on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.